Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world, and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I created the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central place to connect with other L&D professionals so that we can share best practices, share challenges, ask questions, and get solutions that help us improve the way we work. Join today to get instant access to our community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, you can join for just $1 for the first two weeks and experience the community for yourself. And because you listen to this podcast, you can take an extra 10% off by using the discount code HOTSEAT, all one word. That's discount code HOTSEAT when you check out. Just go to our website, tdtt.us, and use code HOTSEAT. That's tdtt.us. Head on over there, use the code HOTSEAT, and we'll see you inside. Now enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I have a fiery, fantastic interview for you today. We are going to be talking all about digital learning and not just, hey, how do we do digital learning, but what are all the things that people are doing wrong? What are the things that people are doing right? How should we even think about digital learning? How should we approach new learning needs and opportunities? And how should we be connecting that to the company's strategy, leveraging data, all of the things that we need to be thinking about in learning and development, whether we are creating a digital or non-digital learning opportunity. Today's guest is David James. 
And David is the chief learning strategist at Loop and has been a people development professional for more than 20 years, most notably as director of talent learning and OD for the Walt Disney Company across Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, which was a huge accomplishment for him in his career. David is also the host of the Learning and Development podcast, a prominent writer and conference speaker on topics around modern and digital L&D, and a member of the CIPD L&D Advisory Board. David's worked in L&D for more than 20 years. He hosts a podcast. He produces content on a regular basis. He talks to a lot of people. And so I was excited to get him on the show to dig into some of his knowledge, especially around digital learning. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into because he has a huge amount of passion and fire around this subject. And you are going to hear it in this interview. Just a quick note, we do talk all about digital learning, and then we have a bonus round where I ask David about his career, his podcast, his accomplishments, his failures, book recommendations, trends he's following, and career advice in our bonus round that is available to our members inside the Talent Development Think Tank community. If you are not a member and you'd like to be able to get access, just come on over and join our community. The website is tdtt.us. In addition to all the great bonus content we have in there, we also have a live call every week as well on Zoom where we connect with guest speakers like David James, who will be joining us on a future call after this podcast is released. So again, the information is all on our website, tdtt.us. And without further ado, here is my interview with David James, host of the Learning and Development Podcast. Enjoy. Hey, David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. You and I are have been following each other on LinkedIn. We've been connected through mutual friends for what seems like years now. You mm-hmm. run a very popular learning and development podcast. I host this fledgling little podcast called the Talent Development Hot Seat. And I think we, we talk to a lot of the same people, run in similar circles. Of course, we live on different continents, and but we both have bald domes, bald heads right now. We're both rocking it, Andy. That's what I yeah. said. We're both rocking the bald We're dome, both yeah. rocking the bald head right now, which is exciting. <laughs> You've been doing yours for a lot longer than mine. So, you Mm -hmm. know, definitely want to get tips from you separately. But, you know, you have been working in L&D for a long time. Mm -hmm. You have also been running this podcast have had the the fortune, the pleasure of interviewing tons of different people on L&D. And I know you have a passion around digital learning. And that's what we're going to dive into today and talk all about digital learning, the myths the mistakes, the things that don't work, the best practices, maybe some tools that you recommend. I can't wait to get into that. Before we do, you know, maybe just share a little bit of your background. How did you get into all of this? Yeah, sure. So you're right. I have been in in, uh, uh, in this game for, for a long time. I went on a training course in 1998 and the guy running that training course on um, coaching and feedback was awesome. And I think that uh, as well as getting a great deal from it, there were people in the room their mouths in awe of the, you know, their mouths open in awe of this guy who was doing this thing. And um, uh, that was the moment I thought, this is a job. Is this, is this real? I could be doing this. So, so I was one of those, you know, you, you, you know, you, you meet those people hanging around at the end of a training course to say this thing, how do I do this like for a living? And so um, uh, I, I spent you know, some time working in his team. Um, this was uh, in a, in a bank. Uh, or a um, financial institution in the UK. Um, I was then fortunate. I, I kind of got itchy feet. I wanted to do more. And I got a standalone L&D role uh, or a training role in uh, in another bank in the UK. And I had five of the best years. Uh, you know, most of that time, at least half of that time was spent in the classroom, really honing my skills. 
became uh, like a lot of us are uh, a student of uh, of of Addy. So uh, so uh, designing and delivering uh, my own programs and adding the rigor around that. But that's when I really I kind of uh, self taught uh, and then you know a bit of mentoring around um, uh, what it meant to to be a, a training and development officer. I um uh, I spent a year in Lehman Brothers um before joining Disney and uh, and I suppose that's where um, I had my most notable experience and my most successful spell. I was eight years at Disney and um, I uh, I left there as director of learning talent and organizational development for EMEA, so Europe, Middle East and Africa. Dur- you know, during that period, you know, I mean, you were, you well know, Andy, you're exposed to some incredible conversations. You work with some in- incredibly talented people that mean that you've got to be on top of your game. So um, that's when I... I pivoted really from a, from a training person to a, to a learning leader. Uh, and this is where I think the, the fire was lit under me because what, what we think the job is in the training room is nothing like the job at board level. I mean, it's chalk and cheese. We design, you know, we design our own job in the classroom to get our eights, nines and tens on the happy sheet, but there isn't a single leader who de- deep down in their heart, want you to run that training course if it's not going to deliver exactly what they need. And I think that, um, that, that the last few years there at Disney really opened my eyes. And this is why I'm, I'm so passionate about uh, engaging in the right conversations in learning and development in order to move us forward. Yeah, that's such a big lesson. And one that, you know, I think is like the biggest, if I'm giving advice, you know, and so, sometimes I'm not sure if I feel qualified, but giving advice to people in learning and development who want to get better in their careers, get to know the company strategy and, mm. and start connecting your learning to that so that it's not just training. I'm using air quotes over here, but it's actually an important part of the strategy so that you actually yeah. get funding, sponsorship, all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, we completely. I mean, we, we spend too much of our time in learning and development trying to know more about what we see as the isolated skill sets of communication, presentation, management, all of that stuff, rather than, as you say, the context in which people are expected to perform with those. So we develop those programs. We develop the e-learning. We make sure that we are we are broadly read around those particular topics. But it's been said by much smarter people than me that without the context, that's pretty much useless. I mean, yeah. it really, it really is. I mean, that that is the equivalent of running around with one piece of the jigsaw puzzle and thinking that you've 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 got the puzzle, you know, the full complete puzzle itself, where the role that people play within their departments, within an organization, within the the network of uh, of what that might be with clients and customers uh, and suppliers and the like, that's the rest of the jigsaw puzzle. So thinking that we've we've cracked communication skills with this tiny piece in our hand yeah. is beyond ludicrous and not fit for purpose. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about, you know, your experience at Disney, you know, Disney is famous for having a very strong culture, tough culture on many, right. But also one that is famous for treating customers really, really well for growing a a global business, Mm -hmm. people building a resume. Um, I've had the pleasure of interviewing Dan Cockrell, who ran Disney's Magic, you know, Disney's Magic Kingdom, and I'm going to be interviewing his father, Lee Cockrell, pretty soon on the podcast. Mm-hmm. They both have books about the the magic of the culture there. What did you learn? It's also known known for innovation as well. Mm-hmm. You know, what did you learn from that culture that has served you well for the rest of your career? Um, you know, that's a that's a that's a great question, and uh, and 
starting with the culture itself, uh, Disney is famous for being highly political. And there is a book called Disney Wars uh, mm. that's widely published, um, talking about uh, how the what, what the genesis of that politics actually is. And, and one of the toughest lesson, the lessons, but the most valuable that I ever learned was to how to how to operate with integrity within a political organization, because after all, it's not just the politics, I suppose it's not just the politics, it's the way that, that it's made up in a matrix organization. Everybody's vying for resources. Now, there are some people who will say, I don't want to, I, I don't want to play the game. And I spoke to many of those people at Disney. But that I think is oversimplifying what is actually going on in a in a complex organization. It is about maneuverings in order to to um, get your stuff if your stuff is the right stuff to get it in front of enough people and then the 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 decision making at disney when i was there was very much by consensus so if you didn't know how to get people on board if you didn't know how to corral support and you didn't know how to get the resources you couldn't do your job Mm. so so the one of the hardest lessons but one of one of the things that really i think that helped make me successful there was by understanding what organizational savvy actually meant and employing that in a way in which it wasn't overly political it was it was widely aware of what was going on and also knowing what i needed to do in order to get the right stuff done and i helped enough people there to do the same so that would that that is one of the the, the main parts but there were other, other harsh lessons at, uh, at disney when i joined in 2006 they were riding the crest of a wave and i remember on my induction uh, there was a there was a day-long induction welcome to disney where there were 14 parts of the business come and did half hour presentations on what they were doing uh, of course of course that would it's not for learning purposes you can't possibly remember all of that stuff but you remember enough stuff and to this day so what's that uh, 15 years later i remember home entertainment coming in and saying look it's got some good news we've just backed the winning horse in the uh, the new digital home entertainment formats um there was uh, i don't know if you remember uh, andy in the same way as there was the vhs betamax uh, mm-hmm. war of the early 80s there was blu-ray or hd dvd and different right. studios backed different formats and disney had said they backed blu-ray and so uh, they were celebrating because of course that doesn't come cheap um, at that time home entertainment was the most profitable part of the business their properties uh, as well as the disney vault where they release aladdin and lions lion king mm. every seven years to create that anticipation and they did well there was also the emergence of box sets so you had lost gray's anatomy desperate housewives they were all abc that came under the disney umbrella so there was a hell of a lot of money uh, in home entertainment but little did we know that a couple of years later that streaming would it would mean that the, the bottom fell out of that that disrupt um, all of it yeah you know, to disrupt all of it so not only did it disrupt it and there is a point to me saying all this uh, by the time i left in 2014 uh, home entertainment was the least profitable part of disney mm. now that is one example of how um te- technological advances enabled consumer changes but when the consumers changed it provided power to different partners and clients of uh, um, of of disney that meant that that period was incredibly exciting for for the changes that went on and then of yeah. course you have the the financial crisis as well um which added another layer and of course people then retreated not spending so much money as before right. it was a period of vast 
uh, disruption and transformation. And so my role was critical. I mean, what, what a brilliant time. You know, you've got business leaders coming and saying, right, we need to rationalize. Now we need to bring three groups together um, for retail elements of the business together so that they can cross sell and negotiate with our partners to get a um, so that uh, we can we can use those properties as leverage. So I, and so then they say to me, David, could you run a course for that? I'm like, no, <laughs> there isn't a course. But do some e-learning. Like, like seriously, like the tools that you think that that you've been convinced by your learning and development people that actually work for all these years don't actually work. Yeah. So we're going to have to do something else. And so we were doing um, um, accept mini accelerated apprenticeships so that we could we could seed that knowledge and grow that based on what it is that people were expected. To to do and to perform but yeah i mean it was in, it was really really incredible and i mean you know I was, I was privy to some incredible conversations i remember one and i don't think this is going to be uh, giving away any uh, you know any trade secrets it was so long ago we're sitting around a table and and i'm there i'm, I'm waiting to do uh, a piece on performance management you know i've got these but for the uh, for the studios business so it's they're, they're talking and um, and there's some people over from the u.s and uh, and they said um right okay so um so what's the plan then you know Pirates of the Caribbean too, and uh, and they said, well, you know, we're hamstrung a little bit by the way that that release uh, that that um, the press communicate well, what's at the cinema and you know I, I can't remember exactly what the details was. They said uh, you only know seven days in advance what the times are. Somebody and somebody went, has anybody considered buying all the cinemas? And you know what you're going, shit, <laughs> like going. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, so I mean, it really was a. Yeah, I mean, it was it was incredible to be in meetings where, you know, some some massive massive decisions were uh, were being made. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was a it was a great time. No kidding. Um, I'm thinking about some of those big decisions, and then, you know, you look at recent times with COVID hitting and and you know shutting down theaters in 2020, and mm. just before that, Disney made the decision to launch Disney Plus, and of course, I'm sure they've made many mistakes, but that one was a magical home run. I I heard recently. Yeah. They have over 100 million subscribers already, second only to Netflix. I mean, they're just blowing it out of the water. But then, you know, recently they released a couple of new films and, and people aren't going to theaters as much because of, of COVID. And yeah. they decided to, you know, have a premium release. So we're release stuff at, you know, how do you decide what movies to be released at home versus, mm. you know, in the theater or charge extra for it? They had a movie recently they released, I don't know the name of it, that it was you know, an extra $20 to watch it on Disney plus. And my daughter's been begging me every day. And I'm like, we'll just wait until <laughs> it's in the free, you know, the subscription that we already pay for, but those are all, you know, fascinating decisions. And I also wanted to touch on, you talked about the politics and even mm -hmm. if you have the right idea, getting in front of the right people, which is true in a lot of places. And, you know, I wrote in my book "Own your career, Own your life, the important about the importance of building a network and building mm -hmm. a personal brand, because there's such a myth out there that, it, you know, if you just do a good job, you'll get promoted, right? But it's not as yeah. simple as that. And it sounds like it was really exacerbated at Disney. Yeah, yeah, completely. I think that um, the organizational savvy, uh, as far as, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, it means different things, different levels. I mean, you are just not exposed to it really below manager level. You've got, you know, you're, you're pretty much well protected, but at a, a, a manager level where you are expected to get stuff done, yeah, you've got to have the network, but you've also got to let that network know what you do. What's your, what's the value that you bring here? You've also got to have a track record and a way of operating and, uh, and, and things you stand for. So, so in a nutshell, can you convey that? Um, I remember um, I was working with a mentor when I, um, in my first few months at Disney and, uh, and that mentor said to me, well, what you do is if you're, if you want to 
get in front of the right people and have the right conversations. You don't ask them in the coffee queue, how are you? You ask them, how's business, right? You get straight to the heart of it. And then, you know, that you're positioning yourself as some somebody who's on their level. Um, so, so that is particularly uh, useful to be, I mean, to even be having those conversations. But there is also the awareness of when you're being played, because there's nothing worse than being a pawn in somebody else's game. Um, and especially if you are seen as potentially a soft touch. So, so saying yes to a lot of people might, mm-hmm. might, a lot of people might be fooled into thinking that that will help you to be popular. And if you're saying yes, you're, you know, that's a can do attitude, but really you're, you're just seen as fodder really. And, you know, just a, just a, just a, yeah, just a pawn that mm. can be wheeled out in front of uh, other stakeholders to to corral support for somebody else's ideas and it get help gain somebody else's resources somebody else's resources yeah. so there's 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 something about owning your space there's something about uh, being able to call out without obviously truth to power which is yeah. uh, which is a core element uh, of um uh, uh of organizational savvy um but but saying enough of your piece to know that you are valuable uh, mm-hmm. and you, and perhaps you've got other people's back again without taking too many sides because yeah in a in a in a political war you could be seen as collateral damage if you right. if you haven't spread yourself with integrity right. uh, across enough different groups i mean it's <laughs> there's some yeah. there's some dark sinister stuff i mean and it but it but, and it requires having your having your eyes and having your eyes wide open and questioning a lot of different interactions that you're asked to be involved in when, when somebody you don't know particularly well, and perhaps you, they, you didn't think that they really valued you all of a sudden comes sidling up to you with an offer or, um, or, or seek a seeking a favor, you know, that's, that's the moment you go, you have your eyes wide open and it's not to say no, but wonder how you might be being played. Now, where is this going as a result of the, this? Yeah, <laughs> the reason behind this and everything. Uh, interesting things we got to mm. think about, and especially when you're in a political culture like that. Uh, I want to pivot now and, and talk about digital learning because I know mm. you're you're an enthusiast there. You've, you've got some opinions. Digital learning has been around, around for many years, right? Almost as mm. long as your career. But obviously, as technology has gotten better, it's become more prevalent, and then with COVID hitting and everybody going to working remotely or many, many people, you know, people that weren't embracing digital learning had to jump into it. So mm. how do you see the, the state of digital learning? You know, what changed, you know, where was it before COVID and what's really changed over the last year or so? Well, first of all, I think we need to, to take a look at the terminology. What is digital learning? Because mm. as I was coming through, you had learning tech, uh, we had, you know, which, which could have mean an o- meant an overhead projector. Yeah. I've been in uh, L and D that long. You know, it could be it could mean a, a PowerPoint. It could mean e-learning. Uh, digital for me is a, is a is a set of skills and an approach that that like a lot of stuff in learning and development. It probably happens in a lot of professions. A term is bastardized to maintain the status quo, which means that the market doesn't have to change, people don't have to develop their practice, and we can continue to do exactly what we've always done. But I always, I, I point the finger over towards digital marketing. Digital marketing isn't marketing. The way that it was done, it's a fundamentally different uh, set of skills uh, that uh, that see marketing pivot from what would, could have been seen as an art, and you didn't you didn't really know where your money was going to right. a science, and you know exactly where your money is going. And I, when I look at uh, L and D right now, I see it largely as an art 
although we do use pseudoscience a lot of the time to justify our approaches, not to get us to do more of the right stuff, it's usually done to say, yeah, what we do is if we make this e-learning um, uh, sound by learning theory, then that will increase the chances of affecting or helping people learn because there are so few conversations about actually affecting the work, but helping people learn based on the foul premise that learning equals performance and or better results, which again, you know, you, you, you're missing a lot of Harry Potter content um, and wizardry to, uh, to actually make that happen. But, 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 Going back to your point here about, you know, we've, we've got, I think there are two strands. You've got uh, technology enabled learning, which is what LD used to scale their wares. So we scale the classroom with e learning, we scale the classroom with, uh, with, uh, with virtual. Uh, we can record that stuff and make it available. All we've really done is we've designed stuff and we've delivered stuff. Digital, which which is based on a training needs analysis or learning needs analysis, which is uh, other people's bosses telling us what they need, like going to the doctors and saying, "Hey, I've got a, I've got an employee needs their leg sawn off." But you know, but then you've got digital over the other side, which is again, it's a discipline and it's a set of approaches, uh, which can include um, uh, agile and. Uh, and design thinking or human human centered uh, design uh, around it but and it's very much aimed at like a lot of uh, successful digital businesses right right now really solving the problems of the users in order to help them to do what they're trying to do better and if you can help them at the right time then you can affect results now to the untrained eye and on the surface and at the conversations that had those two look the same we did have a look and go well you know there's writing on there and there's text so it's e-learning isn't it you know but you're thinking no 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 what you're doing is one of them is created by an instructional designer who wants you to know this or wants you to do that on the other side it is based around what it is that people are expected to do and aimed at reducing the friction the inefficiencies or the ineffectiveness of doing things away that isn't gaining the results that they need so it's data driven and it's evidence based it's user centered it's aimed at affecting the way the work is done ideally and the the most effective way is when the work is being done as well and when people are transitioning so when they they realize themselves that they're in an unfamiliar situation which again sounds really fanciful and a lot of lnd people say well that's impossible and it would seem impossible if digital marketing weren't doing this for the last 15 years um, in helping consumers that they don't know land on a site to build brand brand loyalty for organizations they don't work at anticipating their their moments of need on a particular buying cycle in order to get them to buy something from a firm that they may not have had much uh, familiarity with let alone brand loyalty before but they take them through that funnel to largely successful predictably and reliable results l and are in exactly the same business, except the brand loyalties for the employer. And those, those um, journeys are uh, predictably and reliably as people come into and through a particular organization. Those can be mapped as well. And so we can use the same principles and disciplines in order to do so. But what we'd need to, to admit to ourselves before we did that is that our highly irregular or infrequent event-based learning that doesn't reflect the work people is doing at the or understanding when they need that help wasn't having the effect that we really 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 hoped that it would so there is a massive distinction between online learning and tech enabled learning and the opportunities of digital and i and i hate to be the 
the, the person yeah. here saying that it's a semantic issue. But I hope you can see here that 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 there is a massive deficit of digital capability in L&D because we've outsourced the online element to vendors thinking that we can do the high value stuff in mm -hmm. air quotes face to face and supplement it with on demand e-learning without doing any analysis. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that it starts with really understanding where you are and what you're trying to accomplish, right? Starting with the end in mind and really treating mm. things more like a science. How are you going to measure things? Uh, of course, I think of our mutual friend, Kevin M. Yates, the L&D detective who helps a lot of yep. people and organizations with measuring impact, which is something a lot of companies don't do well or don't think about. And, mm -hmm. you know, moving from art to science, because you're right. I mean, the easy example, I'm sure most people can imagine this in marketing is in the old days, and many companies still do this, you throw up a billboard on a highway, you have, you really have no idea. I mean, the company can tell you, oh, we, we have 30,000 cars a week that come by here, but you don't really know how many people are seeing mm -hmm. it. You know, if they're ma you're making an impression, whereas you put an ad on Facebook or LinkedIn, it tells you how many people viewed it, how many people clicked, how many people went through to your website, how many signed up for your email list, how many of those ended up buying your product. Uh, and you can tell fairly quickly, and I've done this because I've advertised a lot of different things. I've tried some of these things. Are you getting a decent ROI on it, right? Or are you not? You know, For instance, when I launched my book back in November, I invested some money in, in Amazon ads to show up on you know Amazon and Kindle. And after a few months, I found that it wasn't profitable for me at all. But then I also get to make the decision, mm. do I want to keep this going to build awareness or, you know, as, as, a, as a money loser, but it's, it's a science there, whereas it's not just like going on faith or luck and knowing like, well, is this working or not? Or going to a CEO and mm. saying, you know, well, people like this. They really like the training, right? And he or she is like, yeah, but is it helping us advance our strategy? Yeah, completely. I mean, there's, there's research to back up that uh, the, the employees or the, the, the uninitiated, we, we say, what do we call them? Unemployed. I, I, I loathe to call them learners, but, uh, <laughs> but employees overestimate the value of passive learning experiences like classroom training. So were you to ask people what's been the most useful? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely classroom, classroom training. Even though we know, and this is why we say at the end of training courses, if you don't transfer one thing back to, you know, you know, then, then nothing to be done. But they've, they've turned up to training. That's the work done uh, as far as they're concerned. A great deal of the time but uh, but you know as, as we've known with 70 2010 and, and and all of this stuff the rich learning the actual learning how to do your job is generally done I mean, certainly in knowledge work as you're doing it you know there's the, you know the, the the rest of the stuff which is as as infrequent as uh, uh, as it is has such little impact but that's only if you accept the current way of doing things but they're they as, as you've just described there the um the, the billboard analogy i think is a great one for uh, for e-learning and uh, and classroom training you know you've got a billboard you've got a static billboard do you know if anybody's looking at it nope do you know if it's driving results nope uh, how could we make it better make it more engaging yeah <laughs> so we'll do that we'll make it more engaging. how do we do that animate it Brilliant. Right, let's see if that works. That's what this is what we've been doing in in uh, in L&D. We've got so little data um, on whether something actually works. Then what we try to do, we try to fancy it up a little bit. But, you know, you've got to look at the graveyard of trends um, of uh, in L&D. Uh, and there is there is a graveyard when you've been in uh, um, in L&D for as long as I have 25 years, your trends come and go uh, often without most people ever uh, ever using it i mean interactive video is i think is a great example it was mm -hmm. everywhere 10 years ago no one's mm -hmm. talking about it 
because it's a solution looking for a problem and everybody thinking you know looking and thinking well we'll get this thing here and that will solve our problem but as kevin m yates says and like anybody who talks trish yule uh, says it as well um, you don't know if your learning intervention or your intervention in general will work if you don't understand the problem in the context in which it's being mm. experienced by the people you're tr that you've got in the room, in the LMS. It starts there. And it doesn't start with translating a performance need into a learning need and then thinking that retention and recall is going to be an adequate measure of success I mean, if you've been in a room, you've been talking about stuff for a day, you're going to remember the stuff. Like, seriously, all you've got to do is stay awake and you're going to remember enough stuff to pass a test. But whether that actually translates to performance and results too, right? uh, improvement back then, yeah. But even, even behavior, like even behavior change. Like I, so, so, I, so I challenge, I always say to L&D people who believe they're in the behavior change business, I say, you're absolutely not. There's absolutely no way. You're overinflating your own role to justify the way that you currently do things. The only person who can change the behavior, um, whether it's to do with capability or willingness, is the, the owner of that behavior. The only thing we have in L&D is the ability to influence. And look at our friends in digital marketing who have been influenced behavior far more successfully than us for at least 15 years with complete strangers. I mean, we've got all the data in our, in our organization. We've got all the we got the chickens in a pen, right? They're not yeah. going anywhere. Like they, they are actually here. And yet we are less successful at influencing behavior than they are of complete strangers. And I think that that, that exposes a failure in our approaches. But, you know, I, I, can, I, can, I can smash, you know, uh, traditional L&D approaches uh, until the cows come home, but that's not why I talk about this. I do that because I think that there is a huge opportunity for us to expect a hell of a lot more from the people in L&D, but we have to do things differently. If we expect more and we say, well, for all of those people coming into our organization where we have at the moment an overwhelming induction program where we bring everybody together for a day or a week and we blast them with thousands of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of slides that we know even from a learning science perspective, they can't possibly remember. If we helped them to solve the problems that they are, that they are actually facing, we, we could help them to assimilate uh, more successfully and we could... Uh, we could make sure that uh, that people pass probation. We could ensure that, uh, that that smart people don't leave. We can ensure that they're ready to perform. We can ensure that they continue to perform after that initial period. We can ensure that they remain engaged and they remain equipped and prepared then for future roles. We can expect all of to have an influence on all of that stuff if we stop thinking about uh, event-based learning and start thinking about the problems that those people face. New managers, I always talk about these two things. You've got you know, uh, new, um, induction and new managers. Those poor new managers have made a career change and we've invited them onto a program nine months later. They've solved the problems. Like, so, so all of that stuff, like you know, the anxiety that you've got of starting a new role as a manager. Like, so, so on Friday, I was an expert. Yeah. I, I, I was the one fielding all the questions. I knew exactly what I was going to do. On Sunday, I don't even know what the job is, but I'm hoping my manager will tell me. I get there on Monday, my, man my manager says, I'm going to set you up for success. Right, so if you just go down and sort the team out and I don't get what I need. And, you know, so what I do is I spend uh, a few months trying to figure out what my expectations are, what a manager actually does here in this organization because the one minute manager book, oh, it's like, it, was, it was lovely. I really enjoyed it. 
but it didn't actually just, tell me just what tell my your job team what, was. Just, just tell your team what you were doing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it's all of this stuff. We imagine you actually helped people to assimilate and progress and be successful within those roles in the context in which they are expected to perform. That would make an enormous difference. And then when you've knocked those two over, and it's fully automated. So you're guiding people through those experiences. And what I say to people there is that, you know, we're not talking about digital replacing face-to-face -face or relearning. We're, you know, there's nothing there at the moment. This is replacing people fumbling along and making the same mistakes that thousands of people have already made in your organization. And so you're efficiently capturing those people and helping them along. But then you're also not running a three-day program later on down the line, trying to fix people after they know the job much better than you. You're delivering Tuckman and they're going, what are you talking about? Like that's a massive oversimplification of my my system and of, uh, of of my team here, you know, and and your limited knowledge of Tuckman, <laughs> you know, like, don't get me going. You know, like there's yeah. there's so much wrong with this because we don't know what the problems are. So we we create these large exhaustive programs because and buy these LMSs full of content because in the absence of analysis we think, well, there must be something for everyone here. But right. when you consider it like that, you look and think how dumb that is. COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat. It's known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Yeah, my goodness. You were on fire right now, dude. Talk about worked up. I knew you were. I knew you were passionate about this. I'm just thinking about our listeners, half of which are nodding their head, going, "I love what this guy's saying." The other half are pissed the off. Other, the other half like, switched I, off. You just, you, you just criticized everything I've been doing for the last ten years. Uh, no, David, I want to ask you. You know, you've talked about a lot of this stuff now, and and especially the the theory and philosophy and things. Some of the things that people are doing wrong. And I know you work with and talk to a lot of people in this space. Mm you know, as, especially as so many people have been making, you know, transitioning more learning to digital in different ways since COVID, right? Mm. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making? I mean, obviously one is just taking a classroom learning and putting it on Zoom for eight hours. Mm. I think we all know not to do that anymore yeah. after the first person did that and everybody fell asleep, right? But what are some of the other big mistakes you see people making out there? Yeah, so that so that's one straight away that uh, you know I've I've had people ask me um, with with COVID on now is there any research as to how long online training should be? Mm. I just look and think right you've got you've got a solution looking for problems like like seriously like how how long training should be for what? Because when we talk about learning without context, we make these broader like we again we pull in science to try to back up what we do rather than necessarily looking and thinking what is it specifically we're trying to do here and what is the what is what is going to help us um, uh, get the right results and we do that by experimenting. And I'm not saying like I'm not some kind of science denier, but uh, but I'm certainly somebody who, in the context of learning and development, we over rely. On, under, on knowing what we want to deliver, that we try to find anything to back up that we are right. But what I always say is that if you did more analysis, 
the solution would be really obvious to you and it wouldn't necessarily, and it would rarely be a training or learning initiative. Um, so, so there's, so, so that's, that's one, one of the other big things I think people are getting wrong right now is thinking, right, we need a digital provision. So we need a whizzy platform filled full of whizzy content. And I just think seriously, if this was kindergarten, you might be right, but it's not. These are smart people who have been hired into your organization because they are the best people your organization could either get or attract. And now what you're trying to do is trick them with your whizzy content into Sorry, sorry to interrupt. What is, you said whizzy. What is whizzy? All oh, right. So, so animated, gamified, competent, okay. you know, all, you know, anything that is, because what, what I said, like what I'm, I'm a firm believer of, you'll have no problem getting people to your content. And anyway, like getting people to your content, I think it's a, it, like it's, a, it's a silly argument because if it's useful and timely, people will go. It's, mm. it's, it's easy. I mean, we, I, I prove this every single day. If it's not useful or it's not what people need at the time, then, you, then learning and development have this bus full of tricks that we pull out as and when we can save the world from boring e-learning you know, I'd say save the world from e-learning, please. People can but, see your um, face right now. I got to oh, publish this on YouTube too. It's it's a it's a problem that doesn't need solving. Um, um, you know, for example, who's who's gamifying Google at the moment? The blankest page on the internet has the most hits of anything because it's useful mm. and it has no context. and timely. Yeah, and time. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, you know, it's always you know, there it's, when you need it, it. It's always there when you need it on on every single device. So so yeah, the whole we've got millions of pieces of content. So there must be something for everybody. Again, it's in the absence of analysis, but what, if I can switch your question around and, and answer what I think people have been doing really well during this. Uh, yeah. This, that was uh, my situation. next question. So yeah, let's go. <laughs> I can see your notes. <laughs> um, is um, that as lockdown hit and, uh, and organizations had to, to work remotely, then there was a compelling event. So, so people needed to know how they had to work next. L&D pivoted. It was the most important thing in that entire organization. And for a lot of L&D people, it was the first time they've ever worked on the most important thing in the organization. So they did that. So it was helping people with the remote working. Then there was the other side of, the, uh, of that coin. Well, how do managers manage if you can't see people? So then, then they're working on the next biggest challenge in their organization. Now, because people aren't just working from home, they're living at work. This is how, and, and of course, you know, there's this global pandemic that's affecting lives and livelihoods. There's a massive well-being issue as well. So L&D are working on the next biggest priority. This is the first time L&D has been universally aligned to what an organization needs. So that has been a huge benefit. Um, now, hopefully, and I know that a lot of organizations, uh, L&D organizations, um, uh, have continued to do so are now helping come out of lockdown what it actually means to get get either the same employees or new employees ready for what should be massive demand so they are perfectly aligned to their organization don't get me wrong andy i've got a funny feeling we might be doing courageous conversations or something silly just around the corner um you know something that's completely made up that we've convinced ourselves and our stakeholders he's going to save the world again without any analysis um the um because we want to uh, but but you know going back to our mutual friend kevin m yates going back to trish yule and everybody else 
don't work on a single thing if you don't if you can't produce data to say that it is a critical point of failure in your organization because you you won't convince the people that you want to influence that it's worth them trying something different if you can't show them it's a real problem and so another you know another one going back going back a long long time that we can convince ourselves managers as coaches let's bring all our managers together we'll teach them how to be coaches right on a logical level you go i get that i totally get that imagine instead of telling people you spent the time with them and you brought this out of them i totally get it but tell me the specific problem that that manager there is having for which coaching is going to be the answer and don't assume show me the data first and every L&D person will be going, but, 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 but it's obvious. Going, no, data, show me the data. But, but, but if they just spent the, stop. Like, so, so you can see it falls down at the first hurdle when you don't have data. But if we just stop for a moment and we looked for the biggest priorities in our organizations, we found the data, we then found the people that were responsible for the results that that data equates to, and had a chat with them about what they're trying to do, what they can't do efficiently, we'll help them in no time at all. And we won't even have to convince them. How do we get the data? You know, I know some people might be really in tune to that and their surveys and all kinds of mm. stuff, but like you keep saying, hey, you know, don't, don't take any action until you know for sure that's actually the need. Start with the end in mind yeah. and, and do the analysis and, and get the data first. How do we get that? So what we do, first of all, we need to use our imagination. So there's a thing. There's, so so we so it, largely everything starts with an assumption. And that assumption could be, um, hey, we need, to, we need to overhaul our induction. We've hardly touched it for a while. And then, so, so then you, you'd ask a question, okay, so if our induction isn't working, what would we see as the consequence of that? just use your imagination. What would you see? If our induction wasn't working, people wouldn't be ready. They wouldn't, they wouldn't feel as if they were engaged in the company. They weren't committed at all. Perhaps they wouldn't be passing their probation. So you just use your imagination. So you just say, what would we see? What wouldn't we see if this were actually a problem? Right? This goes so go back to courageous conversations. We need courageous conversations. What would we be seeing or not seeing if this was a problem? again so you see where l and d will be lost there because it's a solution looking for a problem but if you were looking at if you were saying our people aren't aware that there's an actual service level agreement between them and the other department and not only do they not know there's a service level agreement they're not meeting that service level agreement so go and get that data like it's it, it all starts there but the problem with a lot of l and d stuff is there's, there's no data because it's not a problem but if we're talking about what the organization requires, like, you know, remote working, the whole, we, we've literally closed the office. You know, what would we be seeing if this was a problem? There'd be no one there. <laughs> like that, everyone would be setting up from home. You know, they, if it's a real problem, then it, then it becomes obvious. But, it, but Andy, it starts, it doesn't start with heads in spreadsheets and it doesn't start by saying, well, what data is there available? Data is everywhere these days and you will find data for whatever you need. It starts with imagination and it starts with an admittance, first of all, that those learning needs or training needs that we've been, that we've been labeling for all of this time are no such thing. They are assumptions. So if what would we need to see to say, to, to validate that assumption or to challenge that assumption and then build it up from there? 
Yeah, you know, it reminds me that in running this podcast for the last three years, I often ask guests about their biggest career mistake. And the most common mistake that has come up over the years is L&D leaders saying, early in my career, a leader, someone came to me and said, we need training on X. And I just went and did it without asking mm -hmm. the questions to find out what is the real need and what's the right solution. And then, you know, building the wrong thing and unnecessary training or not getting people involved or not connecting it to the business. Mm -hmm. And so what you're talking about is the importance of really taking that time. And it takes a lot more time and effort, right? To do that research, find the data, test your hypothesis and treat it as that, as an assumption, as mm -hmm. a hypothesis, as a theory, and not just, this is a need, let's, let's go solve it. But you know what? End to end, from from the beginning of the analysis to actually getting the job done, it takes less time because if you understand the problem and then you understand the audience, then you can work with them in absolutely no time at all, and you can scale then uh, a solution that actually works. Because the other way round is you do no analysis, you buy in or design uh, a solution, you schedule it. Or, they, or you develop it or you customize it, depending on if it's a program or or it's um, a, a platform. Again, in the absence of any analysis, you launch it on a load of people. You get a spike at the beginning if it's a platform, and then you spend the rest of the time trying to drive traffic towards it to justify the investment because you realize it wasn't. If it's if you didn't know the problem, it's certainly not the solution. So so that becomes a millstone around your neck. And then in terms of the the delivery of delivery of a program, if it takes you say um, six, twelve, or eighteen months to deliver this to all parties, you're scratching around at the end to wonder whether it actually had an impact. So that's taking you 18 months. The LMS is taking you the rest of your career to try to drive traffic towards. And yet that three weeks of analysis that you could have done at the outset meant that in five weeks, you actually solved the problem. Hmm. It's like, it, I mean, it's a completely different discipline. It really is. But it's one based on efficacy and which is the desire to, 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 well, it's the ability to, to achieve desired results where the others are exercises in delivery and implementation, largely with, with limited yeah. results. David, this is, this is great. Where, where do we go from here? Where, where is L and D going, <laughs> right? What do you think? I'm asking you to just kind of put on your prediction hat now, but, you know, especially given your, your biases and passions around this, mm. you know, what do you think the future of L and D looks like? as we move into the second half of 2021 and 2022, when some people might be back in the office, not everybody, obviously, and it's kind of still an uncertain world. So there is a very real and very urgent skills gap in the world right now. And L&D are part of the problem, not part of the solution, because we're still buying in systems with those thousands, if not million pieces of content, and we're making it available and it doesn't actually speak to what people are trying to do. Now, this very real and very urgent skills gap is an opportunity for L&D for us to say, right, we've done this launching platforms thing for 25 years and it's never delivered results. Um, it's delivered a spikes of interest and it's delivered us some credibility. It's been a pain in our backside. So we're going to have to do something ourselves. And here's the answer, Andy. We develop our own digital capability. We develop our own ability to analyze and understand enough data to make informed decisions. We, we add evidence base to that data so that we work with that client to understand what they're trying to do. And then we develop um, it, uh, enough digital uh, content development um, skills in order to get that out the door. If we don't do that now, and I speak from, from, a, from a position of somebody who's creating the tech that's going to make this, that's, that's making this easy, mm. then 
I could tell you, we're, we're already eliminating a lot of the administration and delivery. So we're at the stage where L&D accepts the challenge or they will make themselves redundant because the tech is going to take away the admin and the easy stuff. The, the data, because because we're integrating with, with, with BI tools, the, da- the data in the, le- in the learning system is going to show you where those critical points of failure are. It's going to direct you to what needs looking at. If L&D aren't willing to admit that's where they'd need to apply their attention and do something different other than instructional design and content delivery in all its forms, I think they'll find themselves on the periphery very, very quickly. As I, as I said, I, I just don't think the stakes have ever been this high for learning and development. It's, you know, for, it's, for, you know if you're counting bums on seats and presenting yeah. them to your senior leaders, it's a perk, right? It's not, it's not there to actually enable and empower people. Um, uh, and no, the, wor- the world uh, is and, changing. And build- the business world is changing fast, right? Jobs are yeah. changing. When you're responsible for people, the most important part of organizations, and you see people working remotely, working in new ways, burnout and mental health issues are at all time, are going to be at all time highs in the near future. There's so many ramifications from this pandemic that we've gone through that is really going to change everything. And L&D, I think, is at a crossroads where you have the opportunity to move from, you know, honestly, sometimes an afterthought in organizations to one of the most important and critical parts of an organization, if you're willing to step up and connect to the strategy, use the data and do some of the things we're talking about. Yeah, right now, uh, Andy, L&D people I know uh, were uh, were critical in what just happened in lockdown and are even more critical now as their organizations prepare to open their doors again. That is right on the front line. They're, they're, they're getting plaudits from their CEOs saying that team is pointing in the right direction. If they then think that it becomes about addressing isolated skill sets in classrooms and e-learning afterwards then I think that they've missed the biggest opportunity that they will ever face. And that and that's where the, the problems will occur. We, we can no longer just be in the delivery and the provision business, which is the delivery of training, the provision of content. That is a dumbed down version of, of a profession. We should be in the business of solving real problems that affect the performance, which is just the way the work is done and the result um, uh, that the, are produced as a, as a result of that performance. And that's it. The challenge is laid down for learning and development, uh, and I'd and I'd hope that people take a look at that and think that that was exciting, rather than too daunting. But also realize that it will take doing something fundamentally different in order to achieve that. David, this has been fantastic. I feel like we could talk about this for hours, <laughs> and I do want to ask you a few more questions as part of our bonus round. Uh, but right now, I want to wrap things up for our listeners of the Talent Development Hot Seat Podcast. For people who've been listening that want to get in touch with you, follow you more about what you've been doing, you know, where should they go? Uh, so they'll find me on uh, on Twitter. I'm at David in Learning. There are links there uh, to to my other stuff. The podcast that you mentioned is the Learning and Development Podcast. Again, there's uh, my contact details uh, in the show notes. But uh, but you'll find me polluting people's uh, LinkedIn um, feeds. Uh, I'm pretty prolific there too. Love it. Yeah. Make sure you follow David on LinkedIn, check out his learning and development podcast and follow him on Twitter as well. Thank you so much, David. This has been awesome. I look forward to chatting with you a little bit more in our bonus round. Wonderful. Thanks, Andy. Quick note for you. We mentioned multiple times in this interview, our friend Kevin M. Yates, who is known as the L&D detective. 
if you've been listening for a while, you've probably heard Kevin on this podcast. He's been on a couple of times. He spoke on the Talent Development Virtual Summit that we hosted last year, and he has spoken inside the Talent Development Think Tank community as well. Kevin has a free L&D detective kit available on his website, and I wanted to mention that since we mentioned him a few times, since we talked about the importance of measuring impact, collecting the right data, starting with the right questions. Uh, and you can go grab that by going to his website, kevinmyates.com. That's kevinmyates.com. I don't get anything from you downloading that other than satisfaction because Kevin's a good friend. I love supporting him and I love supporting all of you. So make sure you go grab that L&D detective kit to help you on your way to becoming more strategic in L&D. All right, podcast listeners, that is going to do it for our interview today with David James. I hope you got value out of that. I hope you were at a place where you could be taking notes because he was sharing tons of value and fire on the subject. I'd be curious if you agree with a lot of what he said or you disagree. I'd love to hear from you. I'm sure David would love to hear from you as well. Make sure you connect with both of us on LinkedIn if you have not already. And of course, that's the end of our public and free section of the interview. We do have a bonus round where I asked David questions about his career, his biggest accomplishments, his biggest failures, his biggest lessons, the trends he's following in L&D, his book recommendation. Uh, we talk about his advice for people in L&D, and it's a great conversation. That is available only to our members on our members-only podcast inside the Talent Development Think Tank community. If you work in learning and development and you have not joined us yet, come on over. Our website is tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us. I believe if you're as you're listening to this right now, we're still doing a $1 trial offer for your first two weeks to come join one of our calls and check out some of the content. We also have a discount available for podcast listeners. When you do sign up, use the discount code HOTSEAT, all one word, H-O-T-S-E-A-T, can I spell HOTSEAT, for 10% off of your subscription price. So make sure you use that when you come sign up. And if you have any questions, you can go to our website, tdtt.us, and there is a link there to book a 15-minute call with me, or you can send me an email to andy at andystorch.com. Always love hearing from listeners. Always love hearing feedback, what's working, what's not, what are you struggling with, what can I help you with. Finally, last note, sharing lots of great stuff here, but we have links all in our show notes um, from my stuff, from David's stuff. And if you're interested in up-leveling, accelerating your career success, don't forget about my, my book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life. It is available now on Amazon or anywhere that you buy books. Uh, you can also get our bonus content at ownyourcareerownyourlife.com. All right. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate you. I am grateful for you. And I look forward to talking to you on our next episode. Cheers. Cheers.